Hey folks, and welcome back to the 747 Conversations podcast. It's your host, Chris Shembra, broadcasting live from beautiful New York City with a a dear new friend, uh, Selena Potosa. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Chris. It's really great to be here. Selena is on a rocket ship of growth. Her company, Rational Interaction, is one of the fastest growing companies in the country, 325 employees in Seattle, many different business divisions under the umbrella company and doing magical, amazing things. Um, So really excited for today's conversation. The question I have to start us off today is, if you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, or have just never thought to give any credit or thanks to, whether it's someone you've never met before or someone you've known your entire life, who would that be? That's a difficult question. I Well, I think first and foremost, my parents. My parents were so influential around everything in my life. Um, They were both entrepreneurs. They taught me my values, my work ethic. They supported me in every choice and step in my life. So I'll start there. When I look at the community that I live in, the people that I've had the good fortune to work with, it's a pretty wide net of people that I'm grateful to and have a lot of gratitude towards. So teachers, I think my first art teacher was somebody that I was, I will always point to as somebody who identified a talent in me around creativity and helped nurture that talent. And then throughout my career, I've had amazing teachers, amazing mentors. I've worked for very supportive and wonderful people. I've worked with supportive and wonderful people. And then as I went on the entrepreneurial journey, um, I really have had a team, um, certainly not 100%, but for the most part of people who believed in me and did great work to help build and grow the company. I want to go back to that art teacher. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about someone who recognizes creativity in you, and now you've built an entire career on being a chief creative officer and everything in that space. Was someone identifying you as a creative, was that threatening to your parents at all? Mm. Or was that in line with what they thought your talents were? I, I don't think it was threatening, but it was curious. Mm. They did not know what to do with that. And they did not know how to translate that into a practical career or life. And so um, when I was growing up, I was also a ballet dancer. So I had these two kind of um, parallel paths. I loved art and I loved dance, both of which in their minds were careers that were completely disastrous. (laughs) (laughs) So I think they worried about my ability to actually make a living with those as my passions. What industries were they in? They owned a grocery store. Uh-huh, so yes. very different type of an industry, different type of upbringing. You know, my dad's parents were immigrants. My grandfather was, um, he worked for a funeral home. My grandmother um, was a housekeeper. So, you know, I, in my generation, in my family, I have two other cousins that went to college, but I was the first in my nuclear family. And so it just wasn't field that they were exposed to or really understood how to navigate to help mm-hmm. me be successful. So they weren't threatened by any means, but they were, I think, probably worried. <laughs> and so at a young age, when mm-hmm. you discover this about yourself and 
an art teacher supports the notion that you can build an entire career mm-hmm. around this skill set. Are you already thinking far into the future? Or what are you going through in those moments just to learn to accept that gift that you have? Definitely for me, I was thinking far into the future because I'm a planner and I'm a very linear kind of, and I'm a visualizer as well. And so visualizing what my life was going to be like, visualizing the type of place I wanted to live in, the types of things I wanted to do, the types of um, impact I wanted to have was very much part of my process. How I was going to get there, I wasn't quite sure, but I, I knew I wanted to create something or be part of something that was meaningful in an industry, you know, and in a creative industry, ideally. What did that look like for young Selena? Well, I think for uh, many years, I kind of toyed with the idea of that being in dance. And when I realized that that wasn't going to be possible, I quickly kind of turned focus and started figuring out how do I create that in the other area of my kind of happy skill set. <laughs> mm-hmm. How did that art teacher champion this side of you? Was it her teaching style? Was it her helping you plan out where you were going? It, it was much more organic than that. I think it was tapping into a talent and sort of letting me explore that talent. And I, when I look back, I had, I had a couple of key teachers that didn't put me in a box of go do this assignment or this art project. It was like, you know, go take on a project. So I had a lot of freedom, which, you know, I think that I thrived in that ambiguity and I got to create my own assignments and create my own things. And so I got to explore in that. For young Selena, kind of going back to answer that question specifically, I remember a very specific aha moment. I think it must have been in middle school, maybe early high school, where do you remember those, you know, check the box so you can figure out what type of career you could take where you're, oh, you're, gosh. yeah, exactly. But for me, that was actually brilliant because I didn't even realize that there was a career in this path. I didn't even realize that there was this potential to apply my creative and artistic skills to be a commercial designer, to be a graphic designer, to be a visual designer, to be a designer at all. And when I found that bridge, then I was like, da, 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 that's it. Like, that's my, that's my lane. That's where I'm going. And so once I figured that out, then I was, I was like missile-locked on that. Hmm. There's a line in one of our plays. It's a play about Fiorello LaGuardia the former mayor of New York City. Mm-hmm. And in the play, we have Fiorello LaGuardia saying, it's through hardship and hard work that creativity grows and flourishes. So talk about the importance of those structures mm-hmm. in your early life uh, and the freedom that it allowed your creativity to have. Hmm. I... I... 100% agree with and believe in those principles. I think creativity isn't something that you just have. I think it, everybody has it. It's a matter of how do you tap into it and how do you keep grooming it and growing it and challenging yourself to think differently, really. Um, not to use a, a common phrase there, but that, that truly is what it's about. I, I think creativity is super messy and it happens in so many different places. And and I'm still learning, you know, quite honestly, I think that's what's the beauty of, of, of creativity as a bucket, you know, you can actually apply it to anything that you do. And so whatever you're focused on at whatever 
step in life, like right now, I mean, I just spent the day touring amazing creative offices here in New York and my mind is buzzing with all sorts of new ideas. So it's like, you can't shut it off either once you have that passion, which is, which is great. And I, I think once you've tapped into and embrace the messiness of the creative process, then it's, you can, you kind of live to thrive in it. And you, you take things on that are challenging and, and using creativity to solve problems like that are incredibly frustrating <laughs> and exhausting and messy, but really rewarding at the same time. What do, you, what do you do to get yourself through those moments of frustration and confusion and, and, and blocks? How do you deal with that? Um, I think it depends on the instance and I'm not one of those people that has like this magic. I go meditate and then it unlocks something or I let it go and it unlocks something. It's really different. And if I try and force it, it won't happen. And so for me, I actually solve a lot of problems when I'm sleeping and I will wake up with, oh my gosh, click. I just kind of figure that out. Or I will, I have two big dogs and so I walk them every morning and I don't have an agenda when I walk them. I just let my mind try and relax. And that's when I naturally just kind of gravitate towards problem solving. It sometimes just happens in the weirdest places. And then sometimes it actually happens when you just sit down with pen to paper or with mouse to screen and, or with, you know, marker to tablet and you just start like making stuff. Mm -hmm. So it happens really for me in all sorts of different ways. And when I'm making stuff is, is exciting when it kind of gets solved then. Otherwise, if I'm, ha I'm working on a big strategic problem, then it usually kind of, I, I will crack the code when I'm like taking a shower or sleeping or doing something totally different, which is interesting. What time do you usually wake up in the middle of the night with these ideas? Is it always a, s a s specific time? It's usually, I will, it'll be top of mind when I wake up. I don't, they don't wake me up. It'll be like, oh, okay. I have like my fresh kind of slept through brain will you know, kind of have a fresh idea usually in the morning, which is kind of cool. Oh, I like yeah. that. The, <clears throat> the way that your parents reacted when the art teacher called you creative mm -hmm. and started exposing them to uh, the career that you can have in this field, mm -hmm. how have they reacted along the way watching your progression? Mm -hmm. Well, my dad passed away in 2005, so I think I can only speak until that point. Um, but th they, uh, huge pride, huge pride. And of course, because I've been able to create um, at each step in my career, I've been pretty successful and I've been happy. And I think that's what has been in my career for sure. And then thriving. And they see that they had seen that. I still think that they, my dad probably never really understood what it is that I did for a living. My mom still doesn't understand. I mean, it's kind of funny. Um, I will, I will, and she's been at my company. She knows the team, you know, I've talked her through and she, she follows the work that we do. Um, and I've shared some of that, but it's hard to understand, you know, creativity in the agency space hmm. as a something. But she also really understands and has a ton of pride around um, creativity as a vehicle for problem solving. Um, and she herself is, you know, highly creative in that space as well and, and has used that. How did you see her applying or both of them applying creativity into their grocery store mm -hmm. when you were a kid? Oh, in so many ways, in so many ways. Their, their, in, their store was interesting. It was the community hub 
Um, I grew up in a little town about 20 minutes north of Seattle called Edmonds. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. On the water, you're familiar with it. Just this darling little quintessential, you know, kind of Main Street type type town where everybody knows everybody. And their grocery store was truly the hub of the town. And so my dad was always trying new things, you know, so tons of creativity in merchandising, tons of creativity in product mix. My mom ran the deli. And so she had a lot of creativity around what she created, what type of food. She put together beautiful catering events that were highly creative and designed. I think they also had creativity in how they tapped into their team and their staff and, you know, building loyalty and helping support those, those people that worked for them. So there was creativity really throughout almost everything that they touched and, and quality. And that's the thing too, is having high expectation for, and I'm a huge believer, creativity for just creativity's sake is fine art. And that's a different field and a different ethos, um, not better or worse by any means, but it's different. Um, and there's a different business model there. In sort of the design world, you know, creativity sparks um, a business problem. Hmm. And so for them, I think they used, they used creativity to solve a business problem, which was making their business more successful. It's, you know, it's interesting. And I just had deja vu. I don't know why. But you talk a lot about the intersection between logic and magic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? Kind of building off what, what I just said, uh, I think, and, and maybe a little bit more practical in terms of the, the value proposition that we deliver at Rational. You know, and Rational is a creative and consulting firm by nature. Um, as I was growing up in my career and I was being exposed to different types of creative agencies, different types of, you know, internal teams working for a large enterprise, I was always playing this bridge role in between, you know, the actual creative execution and the business, the business problem, kind of a strategic layer to help bridge the gap and and distill things down into being able to being solved creatively. So, you know, I would come up with the insight that the business problem was trying to solve so we could actually strategically meet that problem. So for me, it's more of a, it's kind of a tactical logic and magic coming together because in, in business creativity, just to be creative without actually helping move the business forward is, is not the right strategy. It's Mm -hmm. not the right investment. And I, I think that, um, it's the wrong way to solve problems for ultimate customers. And so the logic and magic coming together is really those two. Your creativity is so much better if you actually have a strategic insight based on an actual customer or user. And how you solve that problem, you know, with all the great design empathy and understanding and, and things that you should be solving problems around, that takes logic, that takes rigor, that takes discipline, that takes strategy, and that takes, you know, some diligence into coming up with that insight. Hmm. And so it's really the two, you can't have one without the other. I agree with that. Yeah. The word you mentioned that stuck out to me when you described what your parents built was they were the hub of the community, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Everything you do, you take a human-centric approach to. Yes. Describe the community that you're proud that you've built around your company. Oh, gosh. The community of my company, you know, when I think about the families, the, the journey that the team that works at Rational has been able to take, they're having kids, they're buying homes, they're building their own lives. That is my most proud moment. You know, when they're, when they're thriving in their role and, and the company's a good fit, 
and they're they're contributing in ways that make them proud and they're able to then take that that pride home and and start to build their lives that's a pretty cool community and that's that's something that I um and it's funny because my when I when I started the company I never imagined that 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 we would build such a big company and um my business partners we we have kind of three legs to the stool mm-hmm. and and they are very growth oriented and have been braver in that space than I have been and so we've been a good balance to you know kind of build that together with momentum so they've pushed me and I've pushed them in ways that are supportive so I don't know if I had not had my partners if I would have built as big of a company as we have now and it's been it's been fun to see and the impact that that now community has had. I mean, we're 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 an employer in the city of Seattle and beyond. Actually, we have offices in Ireland. We've got a team in Australia now. We've got you know it's a it's a global wow. footprint, and that's pretty cool because now we're tapping into communities that you know we're connected to around the world. So that community is is very rewarding. I'm very incredibly proud of it. I also look at the communities that we've been able to touch with our clients and because we have just have had such good fortune and we've done great work for some of these amazing brands, being able to tap into those communities and help them grow those communities, um, you know, whether it's Microsoft, Amazon, um, Acer is another amazing client that we have in partner, T-Mobile, um, Google, you know, some of these, these really, really, you know, game-changing organizations we've contributed to the growth of their communities and, and what I think are positive ways. And what are some things that you can attribute or you can uh, trace from your parents or your art teacher directly that you're bringing into these communities? A sense of humanity, a sense of connection, a sense of, you know, human to human interaction. I think that's what's most important, and that's that's been the thread of philosophy that is, I think, translated into all of the work that that we've done. And if I look at my career, you know, as a trajectory, that's been my sort of north star. It really is all about you know connecting humans, um, whether it's a brand to a consumer, whether it's an employee to an employee or an organization, whether it's you and I sitting here having this conversation. It's about a human to human interaction and connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is more difficult to do in the digital world that we live in today. And, and so I think it's exciting because it's more challenging and it can be richer, but there's also meaning and meaningful connections being made, um, you know, in the world as well. When you look at something and you say it's getting more and more difficult, you know, to do something, to connect on a human level. How do we turn that tide? Well, I think the, the biggest, the first thing you have to do is acknowledge the problem. And I think that you can't fix anything until you really understand what the problem is. And I don't, because the, the digital kind of transformation, we're, it's still happening and it's going to continue to happen. So getting a handle on what the true problem is, we don't even really understand that yet. We don't even know. We don't have, there's no collective language or ethos around that problem, you know, so, so even things like, you know, leaving your phone outside of the dining room when you sit down and have dinner is like a thing now. So the the problem is so widespread. And I think the, there's no yet social norms around how and when you use technology. I think technology has also 
it's put a bit of a barrier as well. And I think you, people get away with a lot that they wouldn't actually say in, if they were having a conversation, (laughs) you know, so I think everybody's had that experience as well. So I think we have to work a lot harder to really, really infuse empathy into whatever Hmm. we're doing and, you know, think about what and how we say and how it comes across without all the things that support a physical experience. So that's, that's an interesting question. And I think we don't even understand the problem yet. So how to solve it is, is something that we need to work on as humanity, as a collective. I don't have the answers. The ability to connect with people, to build community, these empathetic ways, your parents running a grocery store. Talk to me about your relationship to food now (laughs) and growing up in a store Mm -hmm. of food. Mm -hmm. How important is food now as a tool for human connection for you? I think it is probably the most powerful tool we have Mm -hmm. as a species, quite honestly. I mean, for me personally, it's, it's the center of pretty much everything. Food is my entire family. We're huge, hugely passionate about food, hugely passionate about eating together. Where are we going? What are we doing? What are we experiencing? It's kind of how we come together as a family and, and how I bring my friends together, how I bring my team together. Um, it's, it's, I have a funny story when, when Rational was, I don't know, eight or nine people, my mom would come down and like make us brunch or lunch, you know, once a month. So we had this, this food type of culture from the very early days. Now we have, we have a tradition at the company called Breakfast Sandwich Wednesday. And every Wednesday we have a different local, you know, bakery, get breakfast sandwiches from, from them. And it's a community event. We have monthly lunches. So we, we really do have like food. It has been a theme in my life personally. And I think it's, when I look at the company, those are some of the moments that I'm also most excited about. It's also where we get to know our clients and where we build relationships. It's like not on the projects. It's when we're going out to dinner afterwards or when we're having lunch together. So food is just one of those, you know, um, it's the catalyst to make a connection happen. And I actually just happen to love food and I love cooking. So it, it all works out really well. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. Do you know what the, uh, the origination of the word company is? I don't know. Latin origination of the word company is companis. You break down that word, com means together, panis means bread. Right? Yeah. This is all bread together. Yep. Bread together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, even if your mom doesn't know what you do, <laughs> even in the early days, she knew how to show support. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Which was through food and helping you mm-hmm. build connection. Yeah. That is, that is very true. And that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because we, we can never dictate how someone else is going to show us love or support. Mm -hmm. And even if they don't know what we're up to, as long as they're consistent about it, it works. In closing, if I had to ask you, if your mother and father were sitting across this table from us right now, or from you right now, what would you say to them? I'd say I love you. I think we don't say that enough, maybe anymore. 
I would say thank you for everything that you've done to enable and support my life. And I'd say, what can I do for you? What can I do for you now? It's my turn to help. Which ways does your mother like to receive love from you? Well, food. <laughs> Back to that. We do, we do um, you know, not certainly not every week, but we do have a tradition in my family for Sunday night dinners. And so we, we kind of come together as a family. That is a special time for, for us, for her, mm-hmm. for me as well. And I think that's where we have a shared purpose, you know, around um, certainly what we're eating. And was it good? Was it bad? What did we change here? Oh, God, that you overcooked the lamb this weekend. <laughs> that happened last weekend, by the way. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Um, and she didn't say a word, but I was like, shoot, I overcooked the lamb. So, so yeah, it does, it does happen there. And that is a nice facilitator of connection and appreciation and gratitude. I think at the dinner table, you get to share and show all of those things. And I love it. What's your mom, your dad, and your art teacher's name? Uh, my mother's name is Betty Jo. My father's name was Tom. And my art teacher's name was Susan. Is Susan. She's still with us. Does she know what you're up to these days? She does. She, oh, good. She does. Yeah, she's very connected. She, she's a good supporter still. Oh, I like that. Well, Selena, thanks for being with us. Yes, thank you for having me. Any, uh, any words to get off your chest in closing? Oh, I think, gosh. Um, I, I love the work that you're doing. I have huge appreciation for it. I think more of this type of conversation needs to happen in the world. And if, if everybody just gives everybody the benefit of the doubt every day in every interaction, I think the world would be a much better place. Yeah. A little empathy goes a long way. No. A, little, a little grace goes a long way. And I love that you're bringing food into the um, narrative in a way that's really, really exciting. Well, folks, you, you heard it first. Please, please uh, check out everything Selena and, and her team are up to. If you ever need to know what, uh, what day National Dance Day is, check out her Instagram. It's on there. <laughs> um, but I think it's, it's, it's truly remarkable. The opportunities that you were presented at a young age of someone telling you that you're good at something and you have an opportunity in that something, it may not be understood mm-hmm. by others that are closest to you, mm-hmm. but you have to listen to your gut. Yes. And you did that, mm-hmm. and you made something of it. So to all our listeners out there, listen to your gut, listen to what the people around you are saying, and do something about it. Selena talked about just the idea of going and doing something creative it starts the process. Um, so don't let anything hold you back in that way and appreciate who you are. Cause we're all different. That some is, of us are creative. Mm-hmm. Some of us are, are builders. Some of us are, uh, every different walk of life, but you can love who you are, even the dark spots and, uh, and things are going to work out. All right. So I hope you are, uh, are enjoying this conversation. I hope y'all are having a phenomenal day on earth. Remember folks, it's your world. Go explore and we'll see you next episode.